But I wanted to ask you for uh, a prediction, and it's an impossible one, but based on the five races that are coming up, two of which we haven't seen before, one of which has been reconfigured, who's going to win best of the rest title? Is it going to be Ferrari, which set that as their goal and which, to be honest, I didn't believe was possible? Or is it going to be McLaren? My heart is with Ferrari, but I have a horrible feeling that they'll be beaten by a couple of points by McLaren, who really are in a monumental role. And the money, incidentally, I, I took a picture. They have 40-0 sponsors. Um, the money's pouring into McLaren. Welcome to the Forza F1 podcast. I'm Aaron Jenkins, the editor of Forza Magazine, and with me, as always, is Andrew Frankel, Forza's Formula One editor. This season's thrilling head-to-head battle between Mercedes and Red Bull, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen continued at the year's first flyaway race, the United States Grand Prix in Austin, Texas. Andrew, this is the first race you've attended in person since COVID began, and I know you're a big fan of the event and the accompanying spectacle, the helicopter flyover, the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, the barbecue, all that good stuff. Absolutely. I, I love Austin. I, I love the people. I love the circuit. I love the Rasmatas. They had the University of Texas marching band, and I'm a massive fan. They did put on a very, very good show. And they also had the very imposing figure of the much-loved and unique Shaquille O'Neal, who, who, who sort of tarred above uh, the occasion. A wonderful, wonderful guy a number of celebs who braved the COVID tests, which were obligatory, as you will have seen, we were all wearing masks. Most of the interviews were done in masks. The, the, the circus, if I might call this or Formula One uh, thing, uh, a traveling circus, which it is, and it's on its way to Mexico now for this, uh, what will be a pretty hysterical race in, in Mexico City, because as I'm sure you'll mention in a second, your hero, Chico Perez, from Mexico, came third, much to the delight of the crowd, and of course his father. Yeah, Checo had a great weekend, especially since his drinks bottle stopped working, and I believe he was sick to begin with. So he put on a very good show to finish third, even though he couldn't keep up with the two front runners. Um, and it was a topsy-turvy weekend up at the front of the field, Mercedes was faster in practice, but Red Bull clawed it back, and Verstappen, Max Verstappen, qualified on pole with Perez in third. Hamilton had to settle for second with teammate Valtteri Bottas in fourth, but the Finn took a five-position grid penalty for changing an engine again, which we'll talk about later as well, so he wasn't really in the fight. When the red lights went out, Hamilton took the lead into the first corner, which was exactly what Red Bull didn't want. But on a two-stop strategy, we knew it was eventually going to come down to tire wear. And Red Bull was surprisingly aggressive, I thought, pitting both of their cars before Hamilton had pitted even for the first time, which left Hamilton with eight-lap newer tires at the end and an eight-second gap to race leader Verstappen. And you take it from there, Andrew. Well, it was an absolute nail-biter. You know, you could say theoretically, how could a race be exciting if the first four finish in exactly the same order as they started? Well, um, when you walk out of the back of the press office, 
you can actually be very, very, very near to a section of the track. And I could actually, the speed was astonishing. The gap was closing. It was a total nail biter. And if you look carefully, you could see how Hamilton, who is normally very smooth, was really on the ragged edge, throwing that McLaren around to, to the very last second. And it astonished me that 24-year-old Verstappen didn't make a single mistake knowing that a seven-times world champion is within one and a half seconds and his mirrors were filled with Lewis's car. I mean, I would respectfully suggest that you have to be very, very good not to slip or slide or go off or anything. I mean, it was a remarkable performance by the Dutchman. Yeah, Lewis is uh, with Mercedes, not McLaren, of course. But absolutely, Verstappen looked like, I guess, to be fair, the seasoned pro he is because he's now been racing for five or six seasons, even if this is the first time uh, he's been in title contention. But I think it also showed us unfortunately, and Lewis got much closer than a second and a half. He was, he was within DRS range on one lap, although I guess it didn't open because of the, the way the detection zones work and them passing Mick Schumacher right before that detection zone. But we saw once he got within that distance, he couldn't close anymore. And I think that is in large part down to the turbulent air thrown up by Verstappen's car, which is exactly what the 2022 rules changes are supposed to eliminate, that the cars will be able to run directly nose to tail without losing too much downforce and without wearing their subsequently wearing their tires or over the longer term suffering cooling issues. Well, the, 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 but what is also fascinating is that, for instance, during qualifying, uh, the fastest car through the speed trap was Frenchman Oco followed by Giovanazzi and Raikkonen. Um, and I find this absolutely astonishing, bearing in mind how far down the list they, they came uh, during the race. So obviously, as you and I know, and most of our listeners know, there's an awful lot more to Formula One than going fast in a straight line. And it's the corners and the handling and that is the sort of, that that's what's making this so exciting, and this is why. In fact, Verstappen would believe that in a straight line, Verstappen during qualifying was 18th fastest. We've seen that before, especially with Red Bull, though, um, because their speed, as you mentioned, comes in the corners. Yes, this is true. Also, I should point out that at the start, the way Max moved over on Lewis was not exactly terribly gentlemanly. I had a funny feeling that, you know, Lewis was going to end up in the garage. But uh, anyway, that's, you know, look, Senna's done it to Prost, Schumacher has done it to people. So it's not unheard of that the guy wants to protect his position up front, which, as we saw, he wasn't able to do. But um, I, I, I think it was tremendous. And and also, let's, let's not forget that our boys did... Uh, jolly well under the circumstances oh absolutely before we get to our boys though let's touch on that engine penalty i mentioned earlier though that dropped botas back to uh ninth place i think it was and leaving aside his paltry progress forward through the field despite having at least the second fastest car um mercedes seems to be experiencing 
some concerns about engine longevity. And if Lewis needs to take another engine, it, it's a strange thing that if you, if you take your, your fifth engine or your fourth engine, once you go one over, you lose 10 grid positions. If you fit another engine, it's only five grid position penalties, which sort of makes it seem like once you're past a certain point, you might as well just keep taking new engines and enjoy that advantage. But it's going to be a much bigger deal if Lewis needs to take another engine, but Verstappen doesn't. Do you have any thoughts on that one? Well, all I know is that I had a chance to talk to the Honda people, and they, they're obviously they're terribly, terribly pleased. Their, their, their engine seems to be absolutely spot on. And I also understand that Red Bull are on their hands and knees, you know, not really, but you know what I mean, saying, please, please, Mr. Honda, don't leave us. We're doing well with a bit of like we'll be world champions. We would love you to stay with us. Yeah, Red Bull has, because Honda announced it was leaving the sport, Red Bull has been forced to start its own engine department or engine company, I should say. Yes, and and quite frankly, you know, this is, and you know this from soccer, this is the winning team. The golden rule is that you do not change your winning team. Maybe with all this success, especially in the United States, because let me just say that this is not just another Grand Prix. You may or may not know, but because of the, that movie, the what's it called, Race to Survive or something oh, like ne- that? The, Netflix's Drive to Survive ser- series. That apparently has totally changed the feeling towards Formula One. The crowds were massive. All the concession stairs were, you know, Mercedes shirts sold out, Ferrari t-shirts sold out. Lando Norris has become a folk hero. Let me digress for a second. Well, he's been voted the the loveliest Formula One driver of all times by the teen by, by teenies. And these teenagers, these girls, had placards saying, Lando, I love you, lovely, uh, uh, Lando, marry me. And they waited because there's a tunnel where the drivers go through into the paddock. And they were waiting for us to Lando's car to come through after the race. And I must say, even though he was very disappointed because he only came in eighth, he stopped, the crowd cheered, he signed several autographs, and he made a lot of new friends, and he made some of these teenies very, very happy. And this is why I am so happy about Austin, because the the, the devotion, the dedication, the enthusiasm from, from the taxi driver to the hot dog seller, it's pervasive. It's The whole town is behind it, and it's not just the money. Let me digress for a second, if I may. The people at the Ferrari function, Ferrari of Austin, where we had a preview of the 296, they were jumping up on the full house. You could barely get in. Then you had the Hillside chapter, who have every year this fabulous party at the Austin uh, Country Club. Again, completely sold out. They even had a, they even had an eighteen piece band which I haven't seen for twenty years. The, you know it's it's hard to describe. It's not like oh yes there was a race at Silverstone and the people in a pub in London would say oh yes who but oh I have another pint. It's a totally different feel for this city. Yeah, that's the Hillside chapter of our friends at the Ferrari Club of America, of course. And 
Yes, the the drive to survive, uh, I guess, phenomenon, for lack of a better word, when Liberty Media bought Formula One from Bernie Ecclestone a few years ago, one of the things that they really wanted to do was expand its reach to a new audience, not just a bunch of uh, motorheads. And based on what you're saying about teenage girls waiting to meet Lando Norris, they have certainly succeeded at that. Oh, totally, totally. And but, but, but what is also astonishing is that Liberty Media, do they grab every opportunity? Uh, I had a chance to talk to my very old friend, uh, Domenicali, who, of course, was a great mate at Lamborghini, and he's now the boss man. But not just him, but his entire team are looking for... Op- for instance, there is the official coffee of Formula One. There is the official sunglasses or sunglasses of Formula One. And apart from toothpaste, they seem to have got a deal with just about everybody. They also linked up with the NBA and the drivers were throwing hoops on the Thursday. ESPN built half a court and they were, by the way, Fettel and Stroll were the best of the, of the drivers. I mean, it was, you know, they really are going for it to make it a huge brand in America. And let us not forget that on the 5th of May, they'll be in Miami as well. And they are still talking to Roger Penske about Indianapolis. So it is definitely, definitely a growing sport in a country where for a very long time, it was, as you said, a minority interest for petrol heads. The 7,000-plus members of the Ferrari Club of America, the world's largest Ferrari club, enjoy exciting track events, an internationally recognized Concours d'Elegance, and a wide variety of year-round social activities. The members of our 16 active regions and 52 chapters throughout the US and Canada also receive our monthly news bulletin, plus Prancing Horse, our full-color quarterly magazine. Our tremendous program of membership benefits even includes discounts at authorized Ferrari dealerships and selected retailers. So join today. Visit us online now at ferrariclubofamerica.org. And you mentioned uh, Stefano Domenicali. You mentioned him as um, the boss of F1, formerly of Lamborghini, but of course he was also the team boss of Scuderia Ferrari for many years. And as you mentioned earlier, Ferrari had not a bad weekend at all. Charles Leclerc qualified fourth and finished fourth after. So basically, he was the he was the best of the rest himself. Yeah, uh, I agree entirely. I agree entirely. And he's not chasing Lando Norris in the championship. Uh, Leclerc has 128 points. Uh, Lando has 149, and the two teams are fighting for third place. Obviously, at Monza, uh, McLaren scored lots and lots and lots. But our men, you know, Leclerc and Norris uh, and and Sainz are hanging in, accumulating points, Sainz, Carlos Sainz, not getting into accidents, uh, keeping their noses clean in a car, which is clearly all right, as opposed to being in the league of uh, the Mercedes and the Red Bull. Well, certainly their their recent engine upgrades, which I guess Leclerc took his engine two races ago signs uh, in the last race seems to have his it's, it's either given them a clear step up relative to McLaren or coincidentally, we happen to have come to a non McLaren 
track here. You mentioned Sainz there, who has has had a brilliant season compared to all the other drivers who uh, changed teams this year. He had a bit of an unlucky day. While Leclerc was unchallenged and unchallenging, Sainz qualified further back from his teammate, and he was the only driver in the top 10 to start on soft tires, which was kind of a, a bewildering move. I guess Ferrari was on the off chance that it was cooler. The soft tires might have a little more longevity. That was not the case. Um, but not only did he have a tire strategy that didn't quite work, he had to give position on the track to uh, Lando Norris after an off-track pass, and then he suffered through a lost a couple seconds at a pit stop. But nonetheless, he hung in there and beat Norris on the day. He also had a big, big long battle with uh, Ricardo. And well, on the subject of Ricardo, let me digress again because so many things have happened. He on Friday, went out to, in a Dale Earnhardt's NASCAR car, throwing it around the track and appealing to people to whom Dale was as big a god as Al Atterson was to me. So the Americans really threw everything at it bar the kitchen sink. So after the United States Grand Prix, Ferrari is only 3.5 points behind McLaren. But as with the uh, Mercedes Red Bull battle, I think it's impossible to predict what's going to happen in the next five races and who's going to come out on top. I think I think over the past few years, we've always had who's going to finish second as the most interesting thing because Mercedes was going to run away with it. But this year, for the first time in as long as I can remember, we've got battles for the first two positions, a real battle, as well as a battle to see who's going to finish best of the rest. And for it to be only 3.5 points apart uh, this late in the season is fantastic. It's very, very good for the sport. But of course, the fact that um, Verstappen loves the Mexican race, which is coming up in a couple of weeks' time, and Perez, of course, well, his father was here deliriously happy. He was, he was as sick as a dog but he still carried on. He didn't retire, which many drivers could have done. I saw him afterwards. He was taking and drinking an awful lot of fluid. In fact, I've got the photograph of him just trying to fill up, if you like, as, as much as he could because he was completely dehydrated. He's a very, very popular, very, very nice uh, guy. I know you like him as well. And then may I tell you about a very unique experience that happened to me after the race? I was just going to ask about that because we talked about this before the podcast. Yes, I, I got a note from my son who's here. He lives in the paddock. I mean, we've worked together now for something like 25, 30 years. And uh, he said to me, come to the Uri Kali sponsored Haas team. And I, I went in and they said, no, do sit down. And this lady said, hello, my name is Corinna Schumacher. And I lost it. I'm totally honest. I started to cry like a baby that I sort of stopped and stopped mopping up. And they said, oh, come on, come on. And I produced a few, photo a few photographs with Michael, you know, working together at the Hungarian Grand Prix, interviewing him here, interviewing there. And, and she really appreciated, you know, that this was no stage managed anything. I met a total stranger sitting as a perfectly nice blonde lady and I lost it, but she appreciated the reasons, and I most definitely did not put it on. I just couldn't help it. So for me, meeting her and her daughter 
was possibly the greatest experience of the entire weekend, which was already sensational. Coming back to what you've mentioned earlier about the soft tires, in the morning, yesterday morning, I left for I left the hotel at 7.30 in the morning, and it was raining. And it could have rained later. So in a way, it was not altogether, oh, hey, let's put it a parachute. Well, obviously, Ferrari had a strategy for doing so. And I think you can either look at it as they are splitting their chances for success or they're guaranteeing their failure half the time. Ultimately, I don't know if it mattered or not, but but staying with jumping back to Corinna Schumacher for a second, you and I have both seen the Schumacher documentary, which she appeared in on Netflix. Uh, I wrote about it in an editorial for the issue of Forza that's, I believe, at the printers as we speak. And the thing that's while it walked through Michael's youth and his career in Formula One and um, all the stuff that we expected, it gave us the thing that I liked most about the documentary was the insight it gave us into him as a person when he was around his family. It was a completely different uh, persona, and I don't mean to suggest it's insincere. We saw a completely different side of him that we saw at the races, and he's always fiercely guarded his and his family's privacy back in the day. And we see more of Corinna, I think, in that and hear more about Michael's condition after his his terrible skiing accident than we have all along. But just seeing the um, videos of them as a family and hearing Mick and Gina Marie and Corinna talk about their family life was an incredibly touching experience. Well, I, I know you're not going to give me more money, but I think it's the finest re- finest piece you've written in 20 years. I was I was already blown away by your article, which I saw the proof at. I, 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 it really got to me, but then I'm a told, you know, and, and you really hit it on the head, the feeling that we have towards, uh, towards Michael. And so you summed it up and then to meet her, I mean, honestly, it was just a little bit too much for me and, and it's a completely unique experience. Incidentally, I should mention that they do still have, they still have a place, the family still have a place here in Texas. They have a farm with 150 horses and they're all heading there now. So the family is still very much together. They clearly, as you said, guard their privacy. They're together. They're keeping Michael alive. As we all know, it it is a matter of keeping him alive. But at the same time, they're getting on with their lives as well. And And we should. It's a fantastic thing to do. Yeah, and we should should say for those readers that don't know, um, Michael and Corinna's son Mick drives for Haas this year. That's why she was there. Um, so next up, as you mentioned, we have Mexico, which is traditionally a Red Bull track. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But I wanted to ask you for uh, a prediction, and it's an impossible one, but based on the five races that are coming up, two of which we haven't seen before, one of which has been reconfigured, who's going to win best of the rest title is it going to be ferrari which set that as their goal in which to be honest i didn't believe was possible or is it going to be mclaren my heart is with ferrari but i have a horrible feeling that they'll be beaten by a couple of points by mclaren who really are in a monumental role and the money incidentally i i took a picture they have 44 zero sponsors for, partly because of Norris, partly because of, of Ricardo, who of course speaks Italian as well. Um, the money is pouring into McLaren. 
at such a rate. And there's this, I mean, and Ricardo, as you know, is loved because he's such a, a, a cheeky character, if you like, he, with the shoe and everything else. And Lando is the, I mean, there was the, some opinion research just came out. Verstappen, the most popular. Lando Norris is second. And Lewis is only third. So youth seems to be taking over. And if I had to put my money for third place, reluctantly, I would have to put it on my plan. I don't disagree with your logic in any way. And I think, I don't think I would put my money on it at all. I think it's entirely too close to call. But I think like the battle at the front, it's going to be won by a few points and it's going to be entirely fascinating to watch. That's it for this episode of the Forza F1 podcast. Next up in two weeks is the Mexican Grand Prix. Thanks for listening this week. If you like the podcast, check out our website, forzamag.com. That's F-O-R-Z-A hyphen M-A-G dot com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter for the latest Ferrari news and reviews. You can follow us on social media at Forza Mag, F-O-R-Z-A-M-A-G, no hyphen.